Hello and welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Each month on Fitter and Faster, we tackle one triathlon training topic in depth, giving you everything you need to know. This month, we're talking training and racing in the heat, the physiology behind it, the psychology behind it, some common symptoms you might feel when training in warmer climbs, and the best way to approach a race you know is going to be a hot one. We'll be chatting with Dr. Stacey Sims, who first became fascinated in the whole topic of thermoregulation after struggling in the heat at Kona, having trained and prepared in New Zealand. Although Stacey is perhaps better known for the work she's done around sports nutrition and gender differences, she's also an expert when it comes to training and racing in the heat. And of course, it would not be fitter and faster without our gear up section. So later in the show, we'll be joined by our executive editor and gear guru, Chris Foster, who'll be talking us through some of the best gear and gadgets that can help you perform well when the mercury rises. All of that after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership includes two magazine subscriptions, two books from Velo Press, Exclusive content, not just on Triathlete, but across all our brands like Velo News, Backpacker and Yoga Journal. Online courses like meditation classes from Yoga Journal and meal plans from Clean Eating. Event and gear discounts, access to Gaia GPS and one Finisher Picks photo package each year. Outside Plus is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how and how-tos. Find out more at triathlete.com forward slash Outside Plus. That's triathlete.com forward slash outside plus. Stacey Sims is well known for her work in the sports nutrition world, but many years ago when she was still racing as a triathlete, she found herself struggling in the heat one too many times. And as is so often with those who are academically inclined, it spawned an interest in thermoregulation that she remains fascinated in to this day. She has helped scores of athletes understand how to get the most out of themselves when racing in hot and humid conditions and she's currently working with a number of Olympians as they prepare for the steamy conditions they'll likely face at the Tokyo Games. Although she obviously has to stay pretty tight-lipped about some of that, she still had plenty to say on the topic. Here's our chat with Stacey. Hey Stacey, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to uh, see you and and hear from you over there in New Zealand. Yeah, good to, to see you and hear from you over there in the nice warm summer. It is warm, actually. And so it's kind of good that we're going to be talking about training and racing in the heat because it's been in Boulder, especially it's been like we've had a few weeks of kind of high 80s. Um, on them. Am, I, am I going to have to convert to Celsius? Am no, it's OK. Languages? It's OK. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I know that you obviously do a lot of work in the sports nutrition field and that's what you, where you've made your name, obviously. But um, I know from back in the day that you've also done a lot of work in the thermoregulation. And yeah, so all this kind of all this talk about the hot stuff and racing and training in the heat is uh, definitely one of your areas of specialty. Right. Yeah, that's my um, my secret, my secret superpower, I guess. <laughs> Where, <laughs> where uh, many secret superpowers. Yeah, that's the other other part of me is thermoreg. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I thought it would be super interesting to talk to you today because we could um, obviously tie it. There will be elements of th- talking about things like hydration and fueling strategies, but um, the the wider topic of training and racing in the heat um, is super interesting to a lot of people, especially as we come into the thick of in the northern hemisphere anyway, the thick of summer. And we've just had a really one of the big race, big Ironman races here. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago was uh, Ironman Cordelaine in Idaho, which was stinking hot. I think like, temperatures above 100 degrees Fahrenheit on race day, oh. um, and that definitely took some, yeah, some big scalps. Didn't didn't come out the other end of that um, 
or some big, big names, I should say, didn't come out at the other end of that race looking too, too cool. Uh, in in all senses of the word, yeah. So um, yeah, so it's kind of like a, an interesting topic, and I thought we could start off by talking about well, you you telling us a little bit about what happens to the body from a physiological standpoint when we train and race in the heat outdoors. Yeah, so I mean, so many people are used to air conditioning, right? So we get used yeah. to this one area of temperature. And then we go out and heat is a significant stress to the body because the body likes to try to keep its own internal temperature within a certain range. It's a very tight range. So when we start getting exposed to external heat, there are a lot of things that happen like um, we can absorb some of the heat because the outside temperature is warmer than our body. So if we're Mm -hmm. looking at something that's, um, you know, on the East Coast, when you start getting up to that higher heat of 9,800, then mm-hmm. it tips and you start absorbing that heat. Um, and one of the first things that happens is all your blood goes away from your central area, your heart, your organs, and goes to the periphery and all your um, vessels dilate. So you start mm-hmm. trying to offload the heat through vasodilation, trying mm-hmm. to get the, the um, wind to cool you by pulling the heat away. And then when it gets to a a thermal point where your internal temperature is like, whoa, it's still not working, then you start to sweat. And sweat is the the fastest way to get rid of heat because when the water evaporates, it pulls a lot of that water away and the heat with it. Um, But when we look at what's happening internally, you have a huge blood flow shift, right? So we know that when you're exercising, you have blood flow that goes away from most of your organs and goes to the working muscles. So you have a, a reduction of blood flow. That also causes a lot of heat as well as hypoxia to things like the gut. So Mm -hmm. we start producing a lot of heat from exercise. It increases the core temperature. If you're racing or training in the heat, you already have a lot of blood flow diversion away to the skin. So you have this Mm -hmm. significant competition between trying to maintain integrity to your internal organs to provide blood to the muscle for Mm -hmm. exercise as well as offloading the heat to the skin. Mm-hmm. but we only have a certain amount of blood to be able to do that. Right. Um, so when you look at that competition, then you start saying, oh, you know, my heart rate's higher and I'm just sitting around. Well, yeah, because your heart's working harder, trying to get the blood to the skin area. And, mm-hmm. and when you start exercising as well, it goes up and your workload is lower, it's, mm-hmm. again, because of this competition. And when we start looking at how are we offloading heat, women will vasodilate for a longer period of time and then they'll start Mm -hmm. to sweat. Men will start sweating relatively quickly. So when we're looking Mm -hmm. at like the sex differences between women have a longer period of time where their internal temperature will start to come up and be held up because vasodilation is not as effective as sweating. Mm -hmm. But also with vasodilation, you can absorb more heat. So women have to Mm -hmm. be a little bit more cognizant of how we're cooling and how we are training and racing. Whereas men, they have a higher sweat rate. They can offload more heat through the sweat. And then we get into humidity aspects, right? Women fare better because of that vasodilation. So there's a tipping point. So when we get in and start adding humidity into that factor, we have to understand that humidity reduces that evaporative sweat. So our core temperature goes up faster, gets held higher during that time period, um, which is why a lot of people struggle so badly in Kona with the humidity. Yes. Yeah. And so there's lots of tipping points that we have to think about when we're training and racing in the heat. So it's the first understanding that, yes, your heart rate is going to be higher regardless of where you are. 
if it's hotter outside or um, even if you're running on the, the black pavement, right, you're going to be absorbing more of the radiant heat. Mm-hmm. So it's being yep. strategic of where you are and what time of day you're going. And then is it early season, right at the cusp of summer where your body's just now getting exposed to the heat? Or is it in the thick of it where you've had multiple days and it's still hard, but your body can handle a little bit better? So mm-hmm. there's those considerations as well. Yeah. And then just to back up a little bit, what do we, what as a scientist or from a scientific point of view, what would we consider, what do you, what would you consider to be hot? You know, like what temperatures and what humidity? And I guess there's a lot of factors that might, might, yeah, Yeah. might cause that to change or. Yeah. uh, It depends on kind of things like where you grew up or where you normally live. So someone in Vermont who goes down to Florida is going to suffer a lot more than someone who's from Florida, even in the winter. Right. Right. Um, because of what they're used to, what their winters are, what their summer temperatures are, what the humidity is, their body adapts mm-hmm. to their normal environment. Um, we start to see a lot of the thermoregulatory challenges when we look at 88 to 90 degrees. If we put someone in the lab for a heat stress uh, research project, then we try to tip it at that 88 to 90 around 50% relative humidity. But as humidity okay. comes up, the temperature goes down because the heat stress um, tipping point changes. So hot, like someone in Vermont might find 75 degrees and 80% humidity really hot. But mm-hmm. someone in Florida it might find 90 degrees and 80% hot. So it, mm-hmm. it, again, it's that, that threshold of where you are and what you're used to. Yeah. And then you talk, you know, you also meant you'd mentioned seasonal changes too. Like also if like you, I can remember one time, well, this is a long time ago, but coming from the UK in springtime, maybe like late mid to late April and then going to race, um, 70.3 Miami or no, not Miami, um, Orlando, somewhere in Florida where it was super humid and we'd had a pretty, well, we'd had a classic British winter slash spring. I'd done my fair share of indoor like trainer rides but nothing at all could prepare me for that kind of humidity or, and combined with that kind of heat. So yeah. obviously my body, my body completely like f- freaked out, but, um, yeah. So it's kind of like you say, it's like what your body's used to and what's, what's normal, what's your baseline normal, I guess. So yeah, somebody coming from Alaska might find it not so fun racing in Florida if they haven't done any, uh, yeah. any prep, which we'll talk about later too. So yeah. like some of the things that you can do to make sure that you do approach, even if you're coming from somewhere freezing, so that you can rock up to race day and be a little bit more intelligent about about that. Um, yeah, and that's, I think, how my interest in thermoreg started because I was living down here in New Zealand in the winter trying to train for Kona. And it's like, what oh. do we do? What's How do we adapt to this? And that was about the time I was considering PhD. So anyone who's heard my story knows that I went to Kona and there are a whole bunch of issues. And that was a tipping point for me to start investigating hydration and thermoregulation. Because so many Southern Hemisphere people who aren't pros having to try mm-hmm. to adapt and acclimatize in the winter to go to Kona, just mm-hmm. not used to that. Just can't You just can't do it unless you have the ability to understand what that heat and humidity can do to you. Oh, okay. So let's have a fun little tangent then. And you tell us some of the craziest th- things you did in order to prepare for that. Cause I, I've, I mean, I know there's people here who do stuff like, I mean, this isn't that crazy now, this is actually more commonplace, but you know, ride the trainer in the steam room forever, like for like a crazy amount of time. Um, yeah. T- have you got any kind of crazy anecdotes or, or training tales for things you did to try and prep for 
prep for that. So um, yeah, like full kit, like beanie, gloves, thermo jacket, everything on the trainer inside. Mm-hmm. Um, doing all my gym work in full kit, doing spin yeah. classes in full kit. Um, yeah, anything to to challenge that sensation, right? To get used to that yeah. uncomfortable feeling. And then when I went over a week early and all the whole time I was wearing long sleeves and a beanie, just trying to get really uncomfortable because that was before we knew about sauna exposure or Bikram yoga right. or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just yeah. really, but I had a, a little bit of an advantage from growing up in the Northern hemisphere and the humidity and, and the heat. Right. But yeah, it was interesting, interesting times. <laughs> Yeah, I have seen, now I think about it, I have seen people here in the gym with like layers on, on the treadmill, you know, with no fans going and yeah, it, yeah, it just looks miserable. Yeah. But yeah, it might make your race day slightly less miserable. So I guess it's all good stuff. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really do anything to, to change your thermoregulatory thresholds, like to make you start sweating sooner or change the way your body responds. You sweat mm-hmm. a lot and you get uncomfortable and you get that psychological feeling, but it doesn't mm-hmm. do too much to change your thresholds. Right. But it, but it does. But the, so, so then what are the benefits? Like what, what are the training benefits of doing that? Uh, well, a lot of it is just the psychological aspect because we know that the psychological aspect of being in the heat is mm-hmm. huge where if you're not used to it and you get that feeling like your head's going to explode because mm-hmm. you're not used to feeling all the heat, then you'll slow down or stop or get frustrated. And when mm-hmm. you get used to that feeling, then you know, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this is what's happening because I'm really hot. My body's trying to get rid of a lot of the heat, vasodilate, we're going to start sweating. And yeah, yeah, I can handle it because your, your body inherently can tell, can keep going. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the psychological aspect, that has a big impact on a lot of the way that we perform. Hmm. Okay. So that's super interesting. And are there any, so you've already mentioned like the higher heart rate, you've obviously mentioned the sweat, sweating starting sooner. Are there any other symptoms then that we, we should be aware of, um, especially from a psychological standpoint? That happen that are regular that are regular occurrences when we are exercising in the heat, or is that is that all of them? Um, those are the two big ones that we can yeah. understand. Um, yeah. What does happen is when you start feeling overly tired and stop sweating, then that's a sign that your body is not able to adapt or compensate for the heat. That's the beginning signs of heat stress. Um, a lot of people were doing like track workouts in the evening in the, in the, um, summertime and they're not used to the radiant heat from the track plus being hot and the intensity, then they'll stop being like, Oh, I feel really dizzy. I better drink some, but then they'll Mm -hmm. stop sweating and they'll be like, Oh, I'm really tired. And that's their body saying, Hey, wait, you really have to stop. That's a, it's a defense mechanism where your body's like, yep, can't deal with this anymore. You really need to stop and cool down and and let's try to bring everything down because I cannot offload that heat that you're producing. Right. And that's ideally a place we never really want to get to. No. Um, which, which takes us nicely onto the next section, which I was going to ask you about. Okay. So how do we acclimate? What do we do? Um, how do we work? How do we work our training so that we are intelligently prepared so that on race day, we don't have to stop. We, we recognize that we might have to slow down if it's super hot. Yep. Uh, or we might have to pace more conservatively or not, you know, not, it might not be a PR day, but what are, what are the, some of the best ways that we can acclimate in order to, 
to get to the start line prepared and uh, able yeah. to execute the best possible race in those conditions. There are three major ways that because of Tokyo, there's been a lot of research that's come out looking yeah. at the ways to adapt. So, yeah. I mean, the be all end all is the sauna exposure. Um, you yeah. know, like you're getting that hot part of the sauna, passively dehydrated, um, sitting in a spa, hot water as well, like after training that drives mm-hmm. temperature up and you can't really offload the heat that well because the hot water, you're kind of absorbing it. So that's another way to change um, mm-hmm. your thresholds and feeling uncomfortable. And then the other is if you don't have access to those two things is doing Bikram yoga because it's a really, really hot room. And, you know, the theory behind it is you're not drinking, so you're going going to become more passively dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And it's that hot, uncomfortable feeling where people are like, whoa, and, and your body's adapting. So if you can have three exposures to that kind of heat a week, that also mm-hmm. helps you adapt to the heat. Anything where it's a higher heat stress than what the outdoor temperature is or what you're used to doing, that's mm-hmm. going to stress the body more and cause you to have thermoregulatory threshold shifts. So what I mean by that is the body will learn, hey, wait, I'm going to have more dilute sweat. So I'll conserve more of my electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to expand all of my blood volume. So I'm going to have more water in the blood. I'm going to have more red cells available for the fact that the water is going to leave, but I still need to deliver oxygen to the muscles. Um, You will vasodilate for a shorter period of time and then start sweating sooner. Um, You'll be able to avoid that cardiac drift. So cardiac drift is when the heart rate keeps rising, um, but the workload stays stable. So that yeah. feeling of, oh, I can't push the watts because my heart rate is too high, it yeah. delays that and avoids that because your body understands, oh, it's hot. I have mechanisms to get rid of that heat. So it's it's changing the way your body responds to heat because it's overcoming that stress. Right. And then how, how soon before race day would you want to start working this kind of acclimation this, this heat acclimation work into training? Because I can imagine it's not necessarily the, the best thing for your body to be doing it like for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. No. And understanding that it is a significant stress because that's what you're trying to mm-hmm. do. You're trying to mm-hmm. get your body to understand that stress. So we look at it as in recovery weeks. So the taper into a long race, you can do that knowing that you want to do it in an early part of your taper and finishing about five or six days before race day so that your body has the ability to super compensate and recover because you will maintain some of that dehydration um, because a lot of people will like gulp back things and try to rapidly rehydrate. But we want to slow rehydration after you have those heat exposures so that your body absorbs it, is able to understand, yeah, okay, I'm going to start using this fluid for other places. And that's part of the adaption process. Um, We look at doing acclimation for a B race first to see how you respond. Mm -hmm. And then for our A race, we want, again, do 10 days um, of that exposure and then have about five days before race day again. So your body can super compensate. You're not interfering so much with training. Some people will be like, Oh, I'm going to do my intensity in the hot room. And that isn't the right thing to do because you're reducing your ability to hit the training metrics that you want. Right. So do your training preferably in cooler temperatures and then do the heat exposure. 
right? Uh, with a lower intensity workout, nothing's going to stress you more than the heat stress is going to stress you. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so can you um, go into a little bit of detail about how your sauna protocol works and what that involves and how you would set that up? Cause I, I've had a lot of fun doing that over the, over the years. And I know a lot of athletes have, um, but for, for obviously people who aren't familiar with it, you've mentioned Bikram yoga, you've mentioned the sauna. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How does that fun. work? And yeah, so there's, there's, there's sex differences actually in the way that people adapt to the heat. So the standard hmm. protocol is um, doing up to 30 minutes after training in the sauna where you sit high and mm-hmm. then you come to the lower bench to still have some heat exposure, but you don't feel as hot. And okay. it's seven days in a row um, working up to that 30, 30 minutes. And that's what we find works really well for men where you get all your cardiovascular, you know, increased blood volume, you get your threshold shifts. But for women, it's a bit different. If you're in the low hormone phase, you have to go into the sauna for five minutes, come out, cool down, and then go back in. It's a primer because in the high hormone phase, your body already shifts to a higher thermoregulatory threshold. So you need to kick your body into that before it can start adapting. And for women, it's a full nine days. So it's full nine days of that um, 20 to 30 minute exposure after training because it takes us a few more exposures to get that complete threshold shift in the cardiovascular responses that we want. Mm -hmm. If you start acclimating in the high hormone phase, like after ovulation, the two weeks before your period starts, then you don't have to do the primer because your threshold's already changing. So now you're just super compensating above that natural shift. Um, But we talk about it as you want that passive dehydration from training because you can't not be dehydrated from training. Going to the sauna within 30 minutes of finishing your workout and you're not rehydrating. Mm -hmm. You start and the first day you might last five minutes and you'll know that your resting heart rate is in the 140s, 150s because it's again a hot stress with that dehydration. And then when you leave, it's a slow rehydration over the course of two to six hours because we don't want to gulp a whole bunch of water because that will kill the stimulus. When you go into the sauna or, you know, you do a Bikram yoga class after um, training and you're passively dehydrated, you have a lot of that blood flow again that goes to the skin trying to offload that heat or trying to compensate and you're absorbing heat. So it's this, this challenge. And that drops the partial pressure of oxygen at the level of the kidney, which is really important because then that says to the kidney, wait, we don't have enough blood flow. We don't have enough red cell for oxygen delivery to keep all our tissues healthy. So it increases EPO production. So red cell, and it also increases plasma volume. So the watery part of the blood. So that's the the trigger for complete blood volume increase. So we look, you know, it's a seven days, for men, it's the nine days for women stopping um, you know, the five days before you can do it for a B race. And if it's within two months of your A race, then you can just top up or you go in mm-hmm. for a, ha- a sauna exposure a couple of times a week just to maintain that heat stress. Yeah. And so this and this is a 20 to 30 minute session after 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 a workout. And does it matter which workout you do it from? Like, Is it better to do it? Not after a key workout or after a lower intensity workout, or does it make no doesn't no make a difference? And on rest okay. days, we say, well, if you go in and towards the end of the day when you're passively dehydrated from the day, then mm-hmm. that's a it's a good stress as well. Got it. Yeah, I've done it a 
fair few times and it's quite miserable to start off with until your body gets into that kind of adaptation process. It's like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. yeah. And you can do things like put water on your tongue because that kills the thirst sensation and your body's like, oh, I can handle the heat. And that's why we say sit high, move low. And the first day you might last five minutes, but then by the end of the week, you're like, oh, 30 minutes, sweet. And yeah. so it's a really good biohacking because you're like, I can't believe I can sit in here for 30 minutes where on Sunday I was like, oh, I got to get out of here. It's so hot. Yes. It helps make you realize just how magical the human body can be. Yes, exactly. I think. Yeah. Okay. So then when it comes to race day, we know that, say, say we've got, uh, we're going to race a 70.3. We're going to, we're going to race an Ironman and the forecast is for it to be super hot. Like it was in at Kirtland recently. And, um, I mean, obviously a lot of people freaking out, they, you know, they, they maybe they feel like it's out of their control or not pre- well prepared, but there are, are actually quite a few things you can do to to intelligently prepare right for yeah. race day in terms of in terms of cooling strategies and what you do in order to as you just said like biohack you know like uh, yeah. it doesn't have to doesn't all have to be stuff you've done weeks and weeks in advance there are things you can do on race day that obviously you want to practice in training that can really help you stay cool and execute your best race in those conditions so um, I know you've talked previously about things like um, drinking icy slushies um, ice vests or cooling vests uh, yes. So do you want to talk us through a few of those things that you, um, that you always recommend? Yeah. Um, freezing your bottles half, half full the night before and then topping mm-hmm. up. So then they're cold and, um, not frozen solid when you get to the bike. Right. So then you're drinking as much cold stuff as you can early on in the race. So it slows the rate of core temperature rise. Uh, when we're talking about staying hydrated, really making sure that you're using one of the functional hydrations, not liquid calories, because we want yeah. to actually absorb that fluid and not have that competition of blood coming to the gut or, and water coming to the gut to allow your body to actually do something with it. So functional yeah. hydration, nail down your nutrition, knowing that when you're in the heat, you need a little bit more carbohydrate. Fat is not your friend really in the heat. So looking at um, carbohydrate with a little bit of protein. So having that in mind when you're looking at what your race nutrition is. Uh, Again, eating as much cold stuff as you can, um, special needs as well. If you can get an insulated bottle that you've frozen solid and and then by the time you get to special needs, it's half slush. When you're looking at warming up, if you can use a cooling vest or drink something cold, you don't want ice against the skin though. So this is when people are like, oh, ice vest, I'm going to put it on. You need a base layer between it Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if you have ice against the skin, you immediately cause a constriction response, which holds hot blood in and doesn't let you release the heat. So when oh I boy, s- that's the opposite of what you want. <laughs> right. So on the yeah. run course where you see people like putting ice down their pants or putting ice in their hat, putting it on, they're actually increasing their core temperature because you have a constriction from the skin, which holds the heat in. So cool mm-hmm. water, you want to pour cool water on your forearms, cool water over your head. Um, so that allows with the water, um, allows more heat to come out. Because mm-hmm. your cool water and you have the, the temperature gradient where the body's like, ooh, cool. Okay, I'm going to push a lot more heat out, but not ice. You don't want ice against the skin at all. Eating ice, perfect. Perfect. Chewing okay. ice, putting ice in your mouth, um, even using menthol. Um, so like the, the white ointment of Tiger Balm on the insides of your forearms. Mm-hmm. Um, that also helps with cooling. Uh, more of a psychological, but it does actually help offload a lot of heat. 
And then, of course, slowing down. You have to, and if you want to make it to the end, you want to think about that big carpet rollout where you start conservative. <laughs> and then if you have anything at the end, you push it out. Yeah, because if you keep uh, if you keep going, if you keep trying to hold the same pace um, that you that you think you can do, you know, in training, like it, or, or say you, you know when uh, on on training days when you know you're I don't know seventy degrees or cooler and you've got the wind and you've got um, I don't know perfect conditions for you, like you've I think you've got to re- I think it's important to reset expectations about what it's going to be like when it's hot, humid, and, you know, like Kona, Kona when it's at its most brutal, is not a PR day. Like that's no, nobody's going to, no, or, or even, or any, I, I don't know, any, anything above kind of 80, 90 degrees and humid, high humidity, like everybody's, everybody's got to slow down and adjust expectations and totally start out more conservatively. Um, and it becomes a race of attrition, not a race for a PR like taking care of yourself right. along the way. And then the person who's done the best job often ends up being across the finish line first. Right. I was about to say, it's kind of like looking through this, this kind of checklist of things you were just talking about, like the ice, you know, um, the sponges, the ice, the, the, you know, the right protocols, the, but the right, the right hydration. Um, it becomes more about who can prepare and execute most intelligently versus who's the fastest and the fittest. Right. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And so with that in mind, who, what, what do you think we're going to see in Tokyo? Cause I mean, that could be a very hot race. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, what do you think we're going to see in Tokyo in terms of racing, in terms of, are there any kind of cool heating, uh, co- heating strategies, cooling strategies that you've heard about or any athletes doing anything really kind of fun and funky? Um, no, everyone's like, you're looking at the research and everybody's trying to find ways to acclimatize first. And then, you know, you're going to see, um, marketing companies that have pushed ice vests or, you know, cooling things on their head. Um, then some of the stuff that actually works is in the hotel room. So they're cooling pads on the beds and the pillows. They sleep well. So, you know, air conditioning, turning the air conditioning on high. So they have a really cold room to sleep and then Mm -hmm. walking around in the day if they can. Um, so there's not going to be anything like extreme because Mm -hmm. the extreme is the heat stress. So let's Mm -hmm. see, like people know for sure not putting ice against the skin so the cooling strategies when you're seeing people warm up probably going to be you know like the game ready vests and things that you usually see Mm -hmm. what a lot of the strategies are is what's going to be in the bottles like what are we using from a hydration standpoint what are we using from the fueling standpoint that's not going to increase the heat load Um, and it'll be interesting to see after a lot of research that's embargoed comes out after Tokyo to see what are the mm-hmm. newer strategies that were implemented. Yeah, I realize I was asking you questions that maybe maybe a secret secret source answers, secret but stuff. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't spill the beans yet. <laughs> no. No, but it's super interesting because I think my, one of my biggest takeaways from that then our, our, our conversation here is then that some of a lot of this or a large part of this is psychological and is about getting used to what it feels like. Yeah. to train and race in the heat yeah. so that you're ready for it on race day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool, so, cool, cool. So now I see Thank a lot you. of people um, at Rally Sport with beanies on their head and long sleeves running on the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because even kinda if see, yeah, you, you kind of see that already, but yeah. Yeah, you adapt to the heat you'll, and it ends up being cooler. You'll have a spectacular race because you've increased your blood volume, right? And yeah. then if you have a hot race, you'll do well because you've adapted to the heat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Cool, cool. Thank you so much for your time today, Stacey. We always appreciate your expertise and your insights and all your know-how. And uh, we really appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. Rate and review us as it helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. Next up, we're joined by Chris Foster, our executive editor and resident gear guru, who's going to talk us through some of the gear and gadgets that can really help you as you train and race in the heat. Chris Foster, the gear guru, is in the house. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good, EK. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's actually pretty warm in Boulder here, um, so it's perfectly... Uh, and I've turned the AC off for the recording of this podcast, so you know, <laughs> so, I'm perfectly prepped for um, talking about training in the heat. Yeah, you'll be doing a little bit of heat training while we're speaking, I guess, huh? Yeah. Acclamation, <laughs> acclamation is real, huh? <laughs> acclamation is real. <laughs> I, have to, I still have to think about that because in the UK we would say acclimatization, but Americans say acclamation, right? So... I've yeah, a- and, and I can't spell it either way. Like I was trying to type <laughs> up, I was trying to type that. I'm not even gonna say it. I'm just trying to type up that word, and I think I put like acclimatization or something. And Google didn't yeah. even stop me. It was like, is that even a word? I don't even know what you're trying to communicate. It so. is now. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we're talking all things heat and uh, training and racing in the heat, and um, and obviously there's a ton of gear out there to help you. Um, acclimate and um help ease the kind of the training process when you're trying to get your body used to you know adapting and um, getting ready to race in the heat um so i know there's a lot of things you want to talk about through um uh, through all of that but uh one of the one of the really important things you you'd said just offline was um it's it's not so much about the gear but it's about learning about how you yourself handle the heat and and hand, hand, you know prep prep for a hot race yeah absolutely i mean you know, as a gear guru, um, I'm always saying, you know, gear is awesome. Gear can help you. Gear will make you faster. Gear will make you more comfortable. Um, but when it comes to heat, I think it's really important that um, you equip your your body. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you prepare yourself. I mean, obviously, that goes without saying with all training we do for triathlon. But, um, but you know, I'm going to talk about later in the show some stuff that's kind of like, I'm here, it's hot, help. Right. Um, but these should not be things that you are relying on. Um, you know, like, oh, I can just train in, you know, 50 to 60 degree weather and then expect to go to Kona, you know, with no plan and wear, a, you know, a, a tri suit with ice pockets and, yeah. you know, a headband that'll help me cool and I'll be fine. Yeah. Like that's, abs- that's, that's basically the same kind of, you know, uh, line of thinking that you would show up to the start line without training. I mean, yeah. like, ah, I'll figure it out when I go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's exactly the same. I mean, you can't expect the gear to save you. Um, but there is, and because we're talking about heat, you know, it's also a little bit of a disclaimer here. You know, everyone's different. Um, I do well in heat. Uh, I know a lot of racers who don't, I knew some, some racers just thriving. I mean, Sam long just, you know, runs what two fifty. you know, in heat, like it's, like it's whatever. Which, which shouldn't make sense. You know, as, as a slight tangent, that shouldn't make sense because bigger guys, bigger racers tend to not do so well in the heat. Like the more muscle mass you're carrying and the and the larger physical size you have, like you tend to not do so well in the heat. But then exactly. you get somebody who bucks the trend or has really done their homework and their prep and appro- approaches a hot race intelligently, um, which, right. you know, I think That would be my guess with Sam. Yeah. Sam and Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Bolton, his coach for sure, I'm sure did – yeah, d- didn't leave anything, any stone no. unturned. 
No, um, oh my gosh. And even off your tangent, tangent, tangent. Um, Whoa, if, tangent, if, tangent. If, if listeners look at this, uh, we we got this workout from Sam Long and uh, from Ryan Bolton um, just after his win at Coeur d'Alene. And that workout is savage. Like yeah. I'm reading it and I'm, I'm like, oh, that's that's a hard workout. And then the next workout, because we got two from him, yeah. the next workout is like, Oh, that's really hard. And then I'm like, oh wait, these are both meant to be done in one day. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? So, if you're if you're looking for a ridiculous workout and want to understand how um, insane Sam Long is, uh, take a look at that that post Cordelain um, workout thing we posted just a you know a few days ago. It's yeah, it's crazy, but... yeah. I follow Sam on Strava. Sorry, we will actually get back to the show. Um, <laughs> tangent on tangent on tangent. Triple tangent. Um, yeah, follow follow Sam on Strava like a lot. You know, which obviously and a lot of people obviously do because uh, because some of his workouts are insane. So that crazy. dude is savage. You're right. That's, yeah. that's the right word for him. Um, but, but anyway, where were we? <laughs> yeah, but bring it back. Okay, it ties together. You've got to prepare. Yes, just like there Sam you go. clearly does with there all this problem yeah. madness. Um, so what I want to talk about first is a little bit of the gear that can help you during the prep. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the stuff that's not necessarily like sexy and cool mm-hmm. because, well, it's cool. No, it's not cool. It's going to help you with heat. Um, wow, but it's, not, it's not cool in triathlon? Come on. <laughs> How dare you? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's not going to be as, as attention grabbing as some of the stuff I'll talk about later mm-hmm. in the show. Um, but this is the stuff. This is like the workhorse stuff. This is mm-hmm. like, you know, you need shoes to go for a run. You need yeah. some things to help, um, you know, prepare you for heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but but so we'll, we'll start there. So, you know, really we're looking at gear that kind of help you acclimatize um, just to the, the conditions that you think you'll be experiencing. And, you know, like we've been seeing this year, I mean, obviously we talked about it earlier in the show, but, um, you know, races are hotter, Yes, um, hotter in places that weren't supposed to be hot Coeur d'Alene that averaged 70 degrees ish for this time of the year. And it was a uh, triple digits. Yeah. Um, so you need to start thinking, okay, you know, my, my a race or whatever race is coming up next typically is between 80 and 90 or between 70 and 80, but you have to be ready for you know, mid nineties, uh, yeah. you know, more and more yeah. as we're racing, um, especially as more races are packed in the later part of the season. Yeah. Um, so thinking ahead, you know, okay, this is what I could be facing. Um, you know, start thinking about swim, bike, run. How can I prepare myself in the conditions I'm in right now? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously where you are is not where you could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always suggested that people wear their, their wetsuits more than may seem culturally appropriate. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, when you're um, in the kitchen preparing dinner. Uh, absolutely. When you're, you know, when you're at church or you're going, you know, you're going out to a formal dinner. Uh, no, <laughs> all the time, wetsuits. Um, no, but, you know, when you get, you know, do some pool swimming in your wetsuit. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to get looks, um, but, you know, you're going to also get a better sense of, you know, how hot you can get in the water. Yeah. Um, and granted, most pools are probably much warmer than most open water swims. Yeah. Um, but I think it's valuable. You know, you can do that whole sweat test. Um, not as in-depth as the one that EK did this week. But, <laughs> um, you know, that basic one where you weigh yourself before and yeah. after. You see yeah. how much fluid you lost. This is just a basic fluid loss test. Yeah. Um, but you'd be shocked at how much fluid you lose. Yeah. You know, after a – you could even do just a half-hour swim in a wetsuit, in a pool, or in warmer than is comfortable open water, or just regular open water, um, you know, and that's all, you're, you're dehydrated, you know, and you yeah. can't take in water on the swim. 
I would actually say like we I've done that a lot like the pool uh, wearing wetsuit in the pool and in Boulder yeah. you, you won't be surprised to hear Chris that in Boulder you see that a lot especially at this time of year when there's <laughs> races coming up but and Julie Dibbins has all of her crew uh, swimming in their wetsuits and yeah. I can remember like the pool at, at rally here in Boulder um is probably between like it's t- yeah competition temperature so what, what's that 78 to 80 and yeah. um you can wear a wetsuit and she would have you do like the warm-up and then part of i used to get through like some of the main set and then you'd be yeah. like screaming for mercy trying to get that thing off because you'd start to you didn't realize how hot you were getting until you noticed your pace dropping off on the pace clock and you'd be yeah. like oh my god what's going on in my body right now and you start to feel like you're kind of like boiling the bag rice you know like you're yeah. everything you can feel your core temperature rising even though you're in the water yes. and it's a pretty it's a pretty grim experience and then yeah. you have to rehydrate after that workout otherwise the rest of the day you're you're ah. done yeah, yeah. so yeah. And, and it's it's not like when you're out on the bike or in the um out running you know you're not drenched in sweat you don't have the telltale signs mm-hmm. of you know the the salt on your shirt so yeah so it sneaks up on you it's a very yeah. different kind of hotness like you were saying like being boiled alive like it's an internal yes. hotness yeah. not like my face is hot you know my skin is hot it's like my guts are hot yeah um and and that's something like uh, that's awesome I, it doesn't surprise me that Divin's squad does that i mean that's you know you're probably going to be racing in a wetsuit yeah you know 80 percent of the time yeah got to be ready for it and yeah and i think it serves as a reminder too that like like you're saying you, you don't have any of those telltale signs of, of sweating like you do on the bike or run but it serves as a reminder of just how depleted you can get over the course of an ironman swim or a half oh, ironman yeah. even a half ironman swim in hot conditions you know um Absolutely. so it just makes you more cognizant of what's going on physiologically um whilst you're swimming even though you might not have sweat on your skin so right yeah and, and then because i know a lot of people get out of the water you know, they get on their bike and last thing you want to do is take a water because you've mm-hmm. been in the water, you probably swallowed mm-hmm. some. And so you're thinking, okay, you know, half an hour into the bike, hour into the bike, I'm going to start hydrating. But that's crazy because you've, you know, you're dehydrated the second you set foot on land because right. of the, you know, because of the swim itself. So, so back to kind of the beginning, um, swimming in a wetsuit, yeah. super cute, you yeah. know, so, you know, just get that, get that piece of gear, get it early um give yourself lots of practice with it um you know measure your fluid loss um so that that that's probably the best thing you can do for acclimatization um prior you know at least in the swim yeah um obviously swimming in hot water is great but that's not always you know something you can choose to do yeah um for the bike you know another kind of simple one riding on the trainer yeah you know just get on the trainer and and one thing i see people do is you got to make sure you don't overdo it with the trainer. Some people say, okay, I'm going to be in hot conditions. It's going to be 80, 90. So I'm going to go no fan, 80 to 90 in my garage or sitting in the sun. Yeah. Um, but the problem with that is it's not realistic. Um, you know, at a certain point, you're getting too hot. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, you got to think if you're out riding, you're going to be getting some airflow over you. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so you got to get a fan. Um, and people instinctively know this, but, you know, we're talking about heat you know, preparing, you know, heat preparation and stuff like that. So I think, well, I'm just going to go in the trainer. I'm just going to boil myself with no Mm -hmm. fan. Uh, That's not going to be productive Mm -hmm. um, because that's not simulating a race situation. That's just beating yourself up. Yeah. um, Yeah. And as Stacey touched on earlier in the show, like it's actually a lot of that is the benefits of of a lot of that of just mostly psychological versus physiological and just getting yourself used to that uncomfortable feeling versus really like getting some key adaptations, you know, like, Um, so you don't want to suffer too much. Um, right. Yeah. Otherwise it's pointless. Yeah. Like, 
you know, I always say the difference, there's a difference between working out and training. Working out is like, you know, you want to stay fit. You want to be healthy. Training is getting better. Yeah. You know, so you, yeah. you, there needs to be a point. Um, so I, you know, I tell people, obviously you get a fan. Um, there are some fans out there with remotes. I like to do something where like, you know, if I'm doing a, um, you know, interval workout on the bike and I think I'm going to have maybe a hilly course for mm-hmm. my race, do something like altering the fan speed, you know, during some of the hot ones where, you know, I'll be simulating a climb, mm-hmm. I'll lower the fan speed. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, during my recovery, you know, I'm simulating that downhill, crank the fan speed back up. Yeah. So you are getting a little bit of that real life adaptation, you know, kind of the, the contrast between, you know, hurting yourself and recovering mm-hmm. um, rather than just abusing yourself for, you know, whatever, an hour or two hours, yeah. um, which is never fun. No. But so that, you know, that's kind of a simple gear hack thing, but, um, eh, works. Um, when it comes to the run, you know, it's kind of similar. Treadmill is great, but same thing, moderation, make sure you get a fan. Um, I know some people like to run in extra clothing. That's good to a point. Um, yeah. but again, it's like, you know, you see people wearing, oh, I'm going to run in a jacket and heavy pants because I'm doing a hard race. But again, that's, that's not going to be the situation you're in. Um, yeah. you know, you will have air moving over your skin. Um, at a certain point, your clothing is going to get so bogged down with sweat. It's again, not going to be realistic. You'll just be drowning. You know, essentially your, your pores won't be able to, to sweat anymore. So you'll be suffocating at a certain point, you know, physiologically suffocating. Yeah. Um, so I say, you know, like, look, if you're doing Kona, if you're doing an anticipating a hot race and you're in cool climate, wear a long sleeve shirt, but wear like a technical long sleeve shirt, like one yeah. that will evaporate. So there's still know, some breathability there. And yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's not something that more is always better. Um, you need to use some moderation, yeah. you know, get a, a well cooling long sleeve shirt, um, because they make those, you know, that's more for like a summer cover kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, and that'll help increase, you know, the, your perceived temperature as you run, but it won't, you know, drown you basically yeah. um, in your sweat. So, um, those are kind of the basic like hack things, you know, they're not specific yeah. gear. Um, but then of course, as the gear guru, yes, as the gear guru, we knew uh, that yes. you were, we knew that you want to get into the weeds <laughs> with some cool, with some cool tech that yeah, can, so, that can help um, you dial it in. Yeah. So starting with, you know, kind of some newer stuff, um, Garmin, uh, in the last, I want to say like year, maybe even, yeah, maybe just last year, they've, um, put some heat acclim- acclimat, oh, I can't do it. Yeah, so now heat preparation. No, it's, yeah. it's done. I'll make yep. it a thing. In my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some heat preparation functions. There you go. Um, this is cool. It, and I had no idea this was a thing on, yeah. on watches. This is super cool. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty new. Um, I've been using it over the past couple months on their, um, their new Forerunner 945 LTE that I reviewed. Yeah. Um, it's not something you have to basically set up. It's just like, you know, when you finish up a workout, it gives you a ton of stats. Mm-hmm. And one of the stats is you are 30% more, um, you know, acclimatized than you were oh. or acclimated then you were, <laughs> I just, you know, well, I got you were using British English. I, I'm going to say acclimated. It's the only thing I can handle. Um, but yeah, so it'll say, you know, 30% more acclimated, uh, 20%, you know, less acclimated. Oh, interesting. It's oh. kind of like a, you know, the, the training or detraining, mm-hmm. um, stat that they use. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the, 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 like the, um, the computations and stuff behind it are fairly simple. Um, I think it uses a combination of GPS to tell you, like the watch where you are, mm-hmm. um, then it bounces into some weather stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, local forecast and things. 
Um, and then I think it goes with some kind of formula involving, you know, like a basic four day um, adaptation period okay. uh, to get used to heat based on, you know, temperatures over 72 degrees, something like that. Um, and then a basic like three day de-adaptation, um, you know, like a detraining um, once you get away from those higher temperatures. Okay. So it's, it's very cool. I mean, visually it's nice because you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, 30% more, um, adapted, oh, but yeah. it's, it's also not like, you know, it's not like taking a, a, a core temperature pill and actually being like, yes, you're physiologically more adapted than you were. So yeah, it, it's a neat rule of thumb. It's a neat guideline. Um, but it's not like, you know, super scientific, um, yeah. You know, it's. I don't think it's really that personalized from what I've read and um, my understandings. But, um, but it's better than nothing, right? And I can imagine for somebody who is preparing for a race in the heat or what they're expecting to be a hot race, I'm I'm sure it kind of helps build confidence. And as yeah. you know, as, as Stacey said, a lot of this is psychological. So, I'm sure there's an element of um, confidence building and boosting that comes from from that. So yeah, yeah, and yeah. too, it's just like, oh look, I'm not just abusing myself. This is actually going towards something. <laughs> like I, I went for that hot run and it had a point. Now I'm, yeah. you know, forty percent more adapted than I was uh, the other day. Um, yeah. But from from my understanding for the usage of it, it's more for like um, the days leading up to a race, mm -hmm. um, rather than doing like a heat block. Okay. Um, which, uh, you know, some people kind of recommend doing. So I don't think it has a ton of heat block, um, like functionality, um, okay. but maybe it will, or maybe there's a way to use it. I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, but that, that is in, um, not all the Garmin devices, actually more of the higher end ones, like yeah. the edge 530 bike computers and up the enduro series, the Phoenix six series, the forerunner seven, four, five and up. So, yeah. um, you know, so not like the lower end ones, kind of the more higher end ones. Yeah, uh, it's that kind of higher end functionality. Yeah, which makes sense because that's where right. you really want the the deep nerding. Um, the deep nerding. Deep nerding. <laughs> talking about deep nerding, you were talking. Yeah. So you mentioned core body temp sensors too. Yeah, so that is going to be a little more on the the science personalized side. Yeah. Um, like if you are really concerned about, you know heat adaptation, you know, maybe you don't do well with it. Maybe you're a bigger guy or gal. Um, I think, I think that's a good route to take. It's, it's basically this, this little, um, square plastic. It looks almost like a heart rate sensor, mm -hmm. um, straps on a chest strap. It's, I think it's around 250 bucks. Um, they say it's the only, you know, external smart device that can tell you, um, actual core body temperature. Hmm. Um, because typically if you're looking at something like a smartwatch and it's telling you, um, either external temperature, you know, or it's saying, Oh, your internal temperature is this. It's basically just a sensor on the outside of the watch mm -hmm. or it's skin temperature. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is a useful, not useful kind of thing. Yeah. I can imagine there's yeah. quite a variance there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you're standing in the sun, you're not standing in the sun, you're covering right. sweat. You're not, it's, there's a lot going on there. So yeah. I always take those smartwatch readings with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, but this one, you know, it, it's a chest strap. It's, it's got, um, much more advanced sensors. I honestly don't even understand the, the science behind it, but, um, but the alternative to this previously was kind of like I, I quickly glossed over was taking like a core temperature pill basically. Whoa. Um, yeah, they do this for a lot of scientific studies. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll actually get your, your core temperature as you're training. Um, and I, I don't know if it works in real time, probably not. It's probably hmm. more of an after the fact thing hmm. after it's, uh, 
past. <laughs> we'll put it after it's made its way through you. Well, yeah, um, I was going to mention another way that I knew about taking temperature, but uh, we, we, it's a family yeah. show. We won't. We yeah. won't. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll gloss we'll over like, that too. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're not trying to do a bike or run workout with that situation either. So, um, <laughs> talk about getting looks while you're at the gym. Um, but anyway, so this is just a nice, friendly chest chest strap. You know, nothing to see here. Um, um, but so the cool thing about this is they've got a lot of, uh, you know, protocols mm -hmm. that you can use with this, this technology, um, things like a heat ramp test, um, to kind of see, you know, how you're able to adjust to higher and higher temperatures, um, things like heat block training that I talked about a second ago, yeah. um, where you can do this period, you know, just like you would a training block, you know, mm -hmm. um, where you would have like. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks at, at heat and you're working on that, you're building tolerance to that and then you back off the heat and then mm -hmm. you readapt as you get closer. Um, and then finally just, you know, standard heat um, acc acclimation um, as you get closer to the race. So yeah. that's, that's cool. It's, I can't remember if I said, but it's like 250 bucks. It's compatible with um, Wahoo devices, some of the Garmin devices, as well as a smartphone. Um, so you can use it in real time. I used one for a little while. Um, it was an early version and I had hmm. honestly a couple problems with it. Um, but I know a lot of people who've used it, um, successfully. So I'm yeah. actually going to give it another shot this summer, um, with some updated firmware and stuff, but, um, but the concept is solid. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it was just a matter of the, the connection to my watch, honestly, but yeah. Um, so that's probably the most, like, in terms of what you can get and what you're going to use and what's actually personalized. I think the core is probably your best bet. Yeah. Um, the Garmin's there, if you've got it, might might not be worth, you know, shelling out 600 bucks for a new watch just to get that function. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So those are kind of the things for preparing. Yeah. And then when it comes to actually racing in the heat, um, race day and gear you want to use on, on race day, obviously we're always going to say like prepare and practice with it and, and be, make sure you're used to it. But, um, you've got, you've got some gear that you've, uh, you've called your gear in the heat of the moment, like yes. ice vests and cool water vests, um, yes. which I've never yeah. used. Have you, you know, I haven't. No. Um, and I think there's, I think it's actually kind of a mixed bag on how well that works. Um, yeah. I know like Stacy Sims does not advocate for an ice vest. I think she says more of a cool water vest. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about the importance of like having a base layer on between making sure it doesn't go directly on your skin. Yeah. So I think it's my thing about the ice vest and the cooling vests are, it, it seems not dangerous, but it seems like, you know, it, it can throw the equilibrium of, of your body off. In, a, mm. in an almost unnatural way. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be a shock to the system when your core finally comes around because, you know, we're talking about two hour events basically, or, or way more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a 5k or a 10k where, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you might see some track athletes doing that yeah. um, before a race, but they have much shorter events. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and we're being submerged in water. So if the water's super hot, that's going to counteract that fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, like, like you, I've not used one. The idea of it worried me a little bit, um, but it is out there. It's worth, you know, reading into, but I'm not going to give any recommendations because I, you know, it, like I said, it's, it feels like a little bit more of a dark science to me that we're not yeah. solid I, on. 
Um, I do remember, I think it might have been Ironman Cozumel, 70.3 Cozumel, which can get ridiculously hot and humid. Uh, I do remember seeing some of the pros wearing them like pre-race there. But that's yeah. probably, I, can, I can't really think of anywhere else that I've seen that, you know, seen them actually at a triathlon. Yeah, and um, when was that? Was it? Was that must have been, ago. oh, that was a while ago, yeah. I mean, yeah. that had been at least 2015 or earlier, like maybe 2014. Yeah, so. Yeah, I feel I like know. they've kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. it was big, like, five to 10 years ago. And then, yeah. and I think the science is like, you know, it, it, it carries some risk. It's, yeah. um, you know, and, and honestly, it, you know, it may only work for 10 minutes and then it's like, well, why did, you know, why did yeah. I do that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't get into that, but it's mm-hmm. worth checking out if that's a big thing for you. Um, yeah. you got to just assume, look, it's, it might help me for the swim, but it's probably not going to help you after that. Mm-hmm. I would say almost no way. Yeah. Um, um, in terms of swimming, um, like for me, swims above 75 degrees. Mm-hmm. I go with the sleeveless suit. Um, yeah. because the, having the arms, the flotation, yeah. you know, whatever the texture on the, the yeah. forearm, all that goes out the window if I get too hot. Yeah. And it makes and, a big difference, a sleeveless suit compared to a, a full sleeve. Oh, huge, huge, huge. Yeah. And you got to think too, like at some point you're like, okay, well, I want my fastest wetsuit because I want a fast swim today. Well, you're not racing a swim. You're racing a triathlon. Yeah. So if you have a faster swim, but you're completely overheated and dehydrated for your bike, yeah. which carries into your run, you'll be paying, you know, that, that price in, in minutes later in the yeah. race and you yeah. saved seconds on the swim. Yeah. It um, comes back to thinking about like how, how did that pool swim in, in the wetsuit make you feel for the rest of the day? You know, like, exactly. uh, yeah. it'd be worth doing a, a pool swim in a full suit, pool swim in a yeah, sleeveless, a sleeveless. And just yeah. seeing what it's like and, um, making sure, you know, that, that sleeveless fit is dialed in because that's actually really important. Those yes. are a little more finicky. Yeah. Um, you can get, you know, water coming in, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, you can get some chafing with the neckline you can get chafing on the, you know, the armholes. Yeah. So I think for me, sleeveless suits, I would always test them a lot more. Yeah. Um, before definitely. I got out in a race, which yeah. is counterintuitive because sometimes people are like, Oh, I never use the sleeveless one, but it's hot today for the race. So I'll just whip it on. Throw it on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, you know, my rule of thumb has always been 75 degrees. Some people um, may say, ah, you know, I'm still cold at 75, you know, put me up to 78. Um, I would say over 80, you really need to be looking at sleeveless. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, USAT uh, says over 84, no wetsuit at all, including sleeveless. Um, oh, now so- I'm having to scratch my brain to remember. I mean, and again, the rules might have changed because I haven't raced pro for a few years now, but I know Ironman, it was 70, I think 72 for the pros and 70... Oh, yeah. I want to, I guess 76, 78 for age groupers, but, um, I could be completely wrong. So yeah. And it's been for a few years. Cut off. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And, yeah. Um, no, I think you're right. And I think it's, I think it's like above 78, you can still race, but you yeah, know, you're that's not right. eligible for prizes or something. And we're yeah. talking about age group here. Yeah. Um, and then over 84, it's like, no way. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, that, that's always kind of been my rule of thumb. Um, you yeah. can always wear a speed suit. You know, if your your swim is really a big struggle, um, those typically won't overheat you. Uh, most of them, anyway. I think yeah, some of those do have like you know. Like, obviously, you see everybody in Kona wearing the speed suits, um, yeah. and they do have. I think they're obviously still faster than swimming in just a tri suit. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no neoprene, which is going to give you the buoyancy um, right. that a speed that sorry that a wetsuit would. But um, oh yeah, I mean, in terms of setting up your day, you if 
if I have a choice between, if it's kind of borderline, you've got a choice between speed suit or wetsuit, like I would prefer to not boil and yeah. wear, the, wear the speed suit. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Speed suit, I mean, for those, for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, speed suit, it's, yes. it's kind of a suit that, you know, it's, it's more, its purpose is more to hold your, your body together in a way, like it helps with your position. It also yeah. typically has some sort of hydrophobic coating, so you're yeah. going to actually slide through the water better. Um, for me, like the positioning always helped a lot because my position was never great. So it would prevent me from, you know, kind of curling as I get tired and um, yeah. held me you, up better. Yeah. And then you wear this over your tri-suit or your two-piece or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think definitely more hydrodynamic than a regular tri-suit would be. And just yeah, wearing, especially if you've got pockets. Oh God. Yeah. If you've got pockets like in the back. Ooh, no. Yeah. It's like parachute that was um, one of my rookie mistakes as a, as uh, a yeah my first few year first year racing age group is like wearing a tricycle with pockets in the back it's like oh, oh no nice <laughs> I'm a parachute on my back why am i such a i thought i was such a good swimmer what happened <laughs> and there's just like a giant balloon blowing up behind you. yeah <laughs> oh, someone's dear. hopping into your pocket while you're swimming yeah just tucking on in there yeah um yeah so for swimming there's not like a ton you can do um, but you know, being smart about your wetsuit choices, you know, worth yeah. its weight in gold Definitely. Um, on the bike. I don't know about you, but like, I love the, uh, the skin cooler sleeves. Yeah. You I've know, never they're... used these, but obviously like, you uh, yeah. see them so much in, in Kona and, and any hot race. Um, yeah, so, they're like, yeah, they... they look like arm warmers. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, they're missing obviously any, um, insulation. Mm -hmm. Um, they're generally super thin. They're generally white. Mm -hmm. Um, they're like more of a high wicking, um, yeah. UV protection kind yeah. of situation. Um, when I raced in Kona, well, when I did Kona years ago, I wore the, um, DeSoto cool wings. They kind of, you, they cover from your wrist up to your shoulder and then across your back. Oh, um, all right. Okay. So it yep. prevents you from getting just like roasted on your back, yep. you know, with the sun and, um, you know, obviously the UV protection helps with cooling too. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of keeps the, the sweat from just sitting and pooling and more, more for the run on that. But, um, but I wore them on the bike. I always yeah. like them. Um, so that's big for the other thing that people often forget about is, you know, you buy all this gear, you got the fastest stuff, you got your you know, aero bike, your super bike, your aero helmet. But if it's hot enough, an aero helmet is not going to help. you. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, you see people suffering as a result uh, of aero helmets that they, typically the aero helmets don't have venting or if they do, it's kind of minimal. Very minimal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, especially, oh, you see that in Kona and it's like, oh, yeah. you, are, you are literally frying your brains for yeah. 180K on the bike. climb, yeah. just baking. Oh my, and the lava field. I mean, yeah, it, it makes me... <laughs> like sweat just sitting here and again um, you're not, and again it's kind of like the swim it's like you're not really going to recognize or acknowledge it uh the damage that's being done until much later in the day right until you're exactly. on the queen k and you're like struggling to move on the run um right. and, and you got to think like you might be getting so dehydrated on the bike that you yeah. physically can't take in enough water like that that's the thing people are like well you know yeah i'll bake with my aero helmet but i'll you know i'll drink enough to to deal with it but at a certain point, especially in Ironman, especially if it's super hot, your stomach yeah. shuts down. Yeah. You know, I mean, your yeah. digestion starts to shut down. Yeah. You can't absorb what you need. It ends up just, you know, you end up sometimes throwing it up, you know, coming up in other ways. But um, it's, it's, you know, you, you pay a big price. And I think people need to think about triathlon more holistically sometimes. And yeah. so, you know, lose, give up, give up two minutes on the bike to arrow. 
but get some ventilation, you know, know you'll be able, you'll hit the run, at least not severely dehydrated and then, you know, make up 10 minutes from right. that in the run yeah. like 20 and, you know, it can compound so quickly. Yeah. I think the overall generic theme here is like speed versus heat, right? Is like yeah. give up a little bit of speed to say, stay a little bit cooler. And overall the net net uh, gain is going to be, is going to be better. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we've tested a bunch of air helmets. The, the ones we liked, like if you had to wear an aero helmet or maybe it's not super hot, but mm-hmm. you know, it's getting there. Um, the new Rudy project, uh, wing, yep. that one has some good ventilation, um, that actually passes through it's a removable kind of magnetic, uh, vent port. So you can, you know, put it on for cold days, take it off mm-hmm. for hot days. Yep. Um, any aero helmet, you got to think about that face shield. Um, yeah. Because that's another thing, you know, okay, you know, you've got some vents in your head. You know, I bought a vented aero helmet, but my face is completely covered. So again, yeah. you're just baking your head, yeah. you know, almost, almost even worse. Um, so think about ditching that face shield. If you really want to go with the aero helmet, um, think about going with, you know, lower profile sunglasses. Um, all that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Lots um, of little things all add up. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of like road helmets, or, you know, aero road helmets that people have liked. Um, we've tried the, uh, let's see the specialized worked really well, um, that we reviewed that one, um, in our like 2021 helmet roundup. I also mm-hmm. really liked, I just got the, um, the POC ventral light, hmm. uh, it's POC or POC. I don't know what you yeah. call it, but, um, super lightweight, crazy amount of vents, um, but not super aero. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like we said, you got to give up a little bit of that arrow if you, you want to survive yeah. know, a hot race. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And then when it comes to what you're wearing, uh, I know it's there's obviously cute. like a lot of technology has gone in, you know, a lot of research and R&D research and development has gone into the fabric that is uh, the tri suits and tri gear is made out of now, especially you know, race day, um, race day tri suits with kind of cooling fabric. Or um, I know there's the cool, oh, there was one suit, I think it was from Hoob that I used to wear that had like cool, cooling black. Oh um, yeah. Cold fabric. black. Yeah. Cold black was yeah. really popular. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things where I'm like, Oh, you know, sometimes the most expensive thing isn't the best thing. Right. Um, but when it comes to tri suits, more expensive and this sounds weird, but more expensive typically is going to mean better cooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the basic, like, you know, nuts and bolts behind that is Generally, a tri suit or most clothing, you know, fashion aside, but like, you know, sports clothing is going to be more expensive because it has more panels of fabric. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, first. And then, second, you know, you're going to have more expensive pieces of fabric, you know, types mm-hmm. of fabric. You know, more technology goes into it. Maybe it's more delicate. It's harder to sew. It's harder to bond. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's just kind of the behind the scenes of it. So, if you have more panels of fabric, then you can yep. say, all right, you know, I want um, an arrow fabric on my shoulders mm-hmm. that's taking a lot of wind i want um compression in my legs so that you know it prevents you know my legs from getting filled with lactic acid or you know mm-hmm. whatever they say it works for now um and then on my back and, and you know other hot areas you know you're getting a, an entirely different type of fabric that's maybe more delicate more fragile that if it were on your you know your body or your crotch you'd wear through it mm-hmm. on the seat um, but because it's up on your back, it's not going to get worn through. Um, so that's where you're seeing kind of like, oh, well, why is this suit so expensive? Um, you know, it's different fabric, more panels of it. And typically that's focused on cooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple of the ones that I really, I've liked in the last couple of years. Um, and I know uh, a few 
people at our company raced in this last or was it two weekends ago at Coeur d'Alene? Oh yeah. Um, Castelli's PR speed suit. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Their stuff I is love... usually pretty well made. I mean, yeah. on the pricier side, but you know, yeah. I think you pay, you get what you pay for with Castelli, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they have the PR speed suits, like 350, which feels like a lot for a tri suit. Right. You know, typically it's like one to 150 is where you're kind of in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a next to nothing feeling, you know, I, I was talking to, um, uh, who was it? Oh, John Doran. He said, you know, it felt like he was wearing nothing at all. Um, Whoa. and yeah, I know he loved it. Um, you know, it's got that kind of zone targeting, mm-hmm. um, you know, arrow in the shoulders, cooling in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, the only downside to that is, you know, fra- like we're talking about before, fragile, thin, yeah. might not have the longest life. You it know? might not last you for a bunch of seasons. No, I, you know, a suit like that, you're probably getting two seasons out of, Ooh, maybe yeah. three if you're yeah. super careful. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't take a suit like that in the pool, even though I always say, you know, practice with everything. Yeah. Um, Chlorine that, isn't the kindest to things, to fragile yeah. materials. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's going to thrash something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe practice that out in the open water. Um, the the newest suit that I've seen that I liked a lot for heat um, is Zoot's new Ultra Tri Aero. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really cool. Ben Hoffman helped design it. Um, oh, it's cool. got, it's, it's also expensive. It's like 325. Um, but it's got these cool, like, ice slash sponge storage pockets. Um, place throughout the suit kind of like kind of where your kidneys are so like right around your abdomen yep um, and then it has another one in the back of the neck so you can dump either ice or um, i know some people think ice isn't the greatest so you can go with a cool sponge yep. um, you know and then refill that recharge that so i think that's that was really cool to me i'm like that was one of those things where i'm like why didn't we think of this earlier yeah well um, sometimes it takes a racer you know a racer yeah. with the experience of, of somebody like ben hoffman especially who's raced well in kona like to be like hey why don't we do this yeah, you know, and everybody yeah. in the room he's a like, real like Whoa. thinker too. You know, he yeah. likes to like think yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I I think that's really cool. I haven't actually used that one yet in a race. Um. Mm-hmm. I think our web editor's husband used it. Um. Mm-hmm. I think he had a pretty good race at uh, Coeur d'Alene for for him. Um. Yeah. So you know that that was a cool one. You know, if we're just talking about like pure heat adaptation, you know, help me yeah. race day stuff. Um, yeah. Those are pretty big for both the bike and the run. Yeah, um, and things like that can, you know, being able to grab ice or sponges or whatever, you know, and, and being able to store it somewhere yeah. is actually surprisingly a big deal when you yeah. are hot and bothered and tired and just and trying to keep cool. Straight. Yeah, holding on to a sponge while also trying to open a gel or tube <laughs> right. or whatever. Sometimes it seems so, so simple right now as we're sitting here with the rest right. of the heart rate. But when it's like 90 degrees and you've been racing for seven hours or whatever, like it's actually a godsend to have somewhere yes. just to put an ice sponge uh, so that you can carry on doing whatever you're trying to do. Absolutely. Um, so, but it even says like ice, like ice goes here kind of thing. And you're like, oh, yeah. good. Cause you know, when you got that like heat brain, you're like, yeah. huh, what do yeah. I have this thing? Is this for my cell phone? You're like, yeah. oh no, it's yeah. for the ice. <laughs> but it takes a racer to point that out, right? It takes, Absolutely. you know, somebody who's on the other side of a, a seriously hot and a hot and uh, humid race to point that out. So, right. yeah. And probably someone who's blown up in a hot race. Like, oh. you know, it's like one of those things you don't know until you. <laughs> the yeah. best way of learning is failing. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure. Which is before this show is over, is, is a question I'm going to ask you, by the way, about your um, hottest, hardest race. So <laughs> type right. that behind your ear. All right. I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> but before we get to my hottest race, yeah. um, there's a couple other little things. Um, 
the first that I've actually I've used, and I I see a lot more pros starting to use, um, mm. is the uh, the Omius, it's Omius or Omius cooling headband. Yeah, um, these it's things. It's very obvious. Yeah. Like yeah. you you can see it looks like a I don't know like something of you know karate practitioner would wear like yes. a, you know I don't even know it it goes on your head it's got these little blocks and squares that kind of protrude off your head and, yeah um, it uses this material that they uh, apparently they use to help cool um, like computer semiconductor stuff mm-hmm. um, so I, I have used that at some hot races and um, I could definitely feel it. Like you put some water on it first to kind of like activate or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then um, as the, the wind goes over as you run, yeah, you can't wear it while you ride. Yeah. Um, it, it cools and kind of helps, I guess, either put cooling into your head or draw the heat off your head. I'm not sure which way it goes. But yeah. um, but you're seeing that a lot. That was pretty neat. Um, it's 140 bucks, so it's not exactly cheap. And it's very fragile. You have to mm-hmm. be careful with it. You can't just whip it around and transition because mm-hmm. um, then you can break the material pretty easily. But, um, but yeah, I've seen like Josh Amberger uses it, Ellie Salthouse. Um, yeah, there was, was it 2019 Kona where this, it seemed like a lot of the top pros were wearing yeah. it. Um, it seemed like it was very definitely, yeah, the thing to yeah. have. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, I can actually feel it. Like you touch it and you're like, this is much cooler. Like this yeah. is a cool thing. Yeah. Um, which kind of defies logic, but yeah, I, I liked it. It worked. Um, mm-hmm. and then finally kind of the, this is, this could have been one of the first things we talked about, but it's, I want to talk about it last because it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about, you mentioned it, you know, sometimes you got to give up arrow. Sometimes you got to give up speed. Mm-hmm. And really when you're racing in the heat, it's about, um, you know, self, self-management. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. Cause by the time you are, you are blown up, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Like time for you to act. Like if, if you blow up, you know, four hours in the race, you should have acted at three hours in the race. Yeah. Like that's when the, you know, cast the chain of events started happening that caused you to Absolutely. experience this massive blow yep. up. Um, so for me, just good old fashioned heart rate monitor. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's going to tell you, you know, you should know where your zones are. You should know where you're, you know, where you're comfortable, where you're getting too mm-hmm. close to, you know, zone five. And you're like, I should not be at zone five right now. Yeah. And rather than being like, something's wrong, you just need to simply, you know, slow down, be realistic with yourself and slow yeah. down. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. Make sure you're on top of your hydration. Uh, yeah. I think like you, um, it's one of the first things It's one of the first and earliest telltale signs that you are getting dehydrated that you are overheating is when you start you know your rpe could be your rate of perceived exertion could be down at six or seven say and your heart rate is starting to climb and climb and climb and climb and it's not coming back down so that's right. like that is definitely like the hey alert um right. Cool, right. And let's, let's cool down let's or let's slow down, slow down. Try and cool down yeah, absolutely. Um, and as stacy said earlier in the show like it's not when you're racing in the heat and, and it's really hot and humid it's mm-hmm. not going to be a pr day like accept that right. before you even set out gotta let it go and yep. just dial it back and it's a race of attrition and it's a bait. And yep. like you say, it's a race about, it's, a, it's more about self-preservation and self-management yeah. than, than anything else. And like you say, heart, heart rate monitors are just sound so simple, but yeah. so, but also so helpful. Yeah. And, and I'm, I have a complicated, a complicated relationship with heart rate monitors because, you know, I think in some, in some situations, especially when you're training, they're mm-hmm. not the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they can, you know, lead you, you know, astray fairly yeah. often. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to racing and it comes to racing in heat, it is going to be the marker. It is going to be a big, bright, shining beacon that tells yeah. you something is wrong. You mm-hmm. need to make an adjustment now. Yes. Um, 
And because of that, you know, I recommend something like a, a chest strap, Polar H10 or Polar H10, mm-hmm. kind of the gold standard chest straps. Because, you know, if you've got a, an optical heart rate monitor, like one that comes on a smartwatch, mm-hmm. um, those things are not super accurate, especially when it comes to quick changes. Mm-hmm. And what you're looking for is those changes. Like you need to be on top of them, like boom, like yep. right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so for many things, I think, you know, smartwatch, optical heart rate monitor is fine. Um, but for, for when you're dealing with like heat and preventing a blow up and monitoring, you know, your physiological signs, get mm-hmm. something good. Yeah. Um, that could save, that could save, you know, hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only thing I would say to that though, is that, um, a lot of women still don't like wear or have, have never yeah. found a chest strap that doesn't rub and chafe you to bits with a sports bra. So I, I still use optical R8, mm. which I know would have the gear go like, <laughs> no, no, but there are some that are better than others. Like there's, mm-hmm. um, trying to think off the top of my head, Polar has a good one. It's kind of a standalone. The standalone optical ones are good. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the smartwatch built in ones right. that are quite, quite a bit less accurate because especially when it's hot, your wrist changes shape, yeah. you know, it gets covered in sweat, it, you know, light gets in. Um, so it, you know, I, I think you can, you can still do an optical, but go with a standalone one. Um, one that maybe goes around your arm or, or something Yeah, like and also be aware that it's not 100% accurate and you need to kind of take it with a pinch of salt or whatever or just be aware it's, yeah, how you're using it. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so um, let's close out with the Gear Guru's hottest, hardest uh, race story. If there is, <laughs> if there is one, you might, you might be Uh-oh. like, no, EK, I always got it, di- I always got it no. totally dialed. No, that definitely. Let's, let's uh, end this with a horrifying blow up. Um, <laughs> so I actually wrote about this in our, uh, in last week's, I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, member newsletter. So if you're a member, um, and you get our newsletter, um, you already know the story. So sorry. Um, but it was Watolko world cup. I want to say. 2012, 2013. It was a long time ago. Wow. Um, We're telling race stories. I was telling race stories from 2015 and yours from 2012, 2013. Taking way back. Put some veterans here. Yeah. Well, it's also the last time I pushed myself so hard that I blew up. (laughs) So so that's been a while. But but it was in Huatulco, Mexico. I want to say it was 95 degrees in the air. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe triple digits, but it was super humid. Heat index was definitely triple digits. The water was ninety plus. Whoa! Yeah. Yikes. So I spent all week. Well, no, I wasn't there for a week. I spent the three days leading up to the race just literally hiding in my hotel room, mm-hmm. hugging the air conditioner because I didn't know. I in my mind, I was like, it's so bad out. I I don't think I'm gonna you know adapt. I think it's just going to wear me out. And I don't know if that was the right call or not, mm-hmm. honestly. But uh, but that was my thing. I'm like, I can't train in this. I can't adapt to this. It's mm-hmm. too hot. Um, so anyway, gun goes off. I was maybe six, seven minutes into the swim. Mm-hmm. And I was boiled. Like it was done. Like, you know, this is an Olympic distance, draft legal, IT race. And everyone's good. And, you know, it was an Olympic year. So everyone's on fire. And mm-hmm. um, I got out of the water. And I I almost passed out walking over to my bike you know everyone always has super fast transitions i walked over to my bike like this is pathetic and um got on my shoes pedaled a little bit there's a huge climb right in the sun got halfway up the climb barely made it to the top of the hill and then the rest of the racers came around and lapped me 
Oh, no. And they were like, nope, because now to you, if you get lapped, you're if out. You go, yeah. like, you're out. Yeah. And I'm like, great. Awesome. Thank you for this. <laughs> thank, thank you for coming and literally putting me out of my misery. And I just Aww. remember walking my bike down the hill because I was afraid I was going to pass out riding it down and just seeing these guys like still racing, you know, like running like 31 minute 10 Ks. And I feel mm-hmm. like at that moment, I was just like, nope, I will yeah. never be like, <laughs> I can't do that. So it was... Well. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that comes back to the, you know, I'm sure there are days when Sam Long might blow up in, uh, sorry, Sam, but yeah, you know, there might be days like where Sam is, like, hey, is like, no, <laughs> where Sam's like you were that day. Or then there's yeah. days like Colin where he's just like blitzing through his, you know, his marathon. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of it comes down to physiology and preparation. Um, and then some, yeah, some days you are, just, it's just brutal and you, your body doesn't cope with it. Yeah. And I typically raced well in the heat, but it mm. was just, it was the swim that I always kind of struggled in anyway. It's the, it's the hot water. It was just like, I mean, it's like swimming in a hot tub, UK. It, it must be. Yeah. So Above 90. So were oh. you, you were in a tri-suit, like a race tri-suit. Oh yeah. Or, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I wish I had been wearing nothing. Even that, that wouldn't have helped. Oh. <laughs> it was oh. so bad. Yeah. It was so ugly. Oh. There you go. Embarrassing, there you go. embarrassing story that ends in me saying I would have rather swam in nothing. <laughs> doubling down we've touched it all today we haven't (laughs) literally touched it all but um (laughs) on that note we should probably wrap up but uh thank you very much for your time and your gear insights and expertise and we'll see you next month thanks ek (laughs) cheers yep okay so hopefully you're now a little more in the know when it comes to training and racing in the heat Thank you for joining us on this month's Fitter and Faster. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Fitter and Faster by Triathlete wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate and review us. It helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. We'll be back next month when we'll be talking all things injury prevention. But until then, happy training. Happy training.